Today in Science from Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Today in Science from Wired. Physicists are closer to knowing the size of a proton. Well, sort of. A new and potentially improved measurement of a proton's charge radius brings scientists closer to an answer. But the issue is still unresolved. By John Timmer, Ars Technica. How big is a proton? I mean, that sounds like a pretty simple question, but it could potentially wreck a lot of modern physics. And that's because different methods of measuring the proton's charge radius each had different results that disagreed with each other. And not just by a little bit, either. The answers were four standard deviations apart. But now, there's a new and improved measurement, and it brings them into much closer alignment, but not quite close enough that we can consider the issue necessarily resolved. So there are a couple different ways you can measure a proton's charge radius. One is to bounce other charged particles off the proton and infer its size by measuring the deflections. And the other is to see how the proton's charge messes with the behavior of an electron orbiting in a hydrogen atom. Hydrogen only has a single proton and electron. So the energy difference between different orbitals is because of the proton's charge radius. And if an electron jumps from one orbital to another, it'll release or absorb a photon with an energy that corresponds with whatever that difference is. So when you measure the photon, you can work back to the energy difference, and then you'll know the charge radius of that proton. The actual wavelength depends on both the charge radius and the physical constant, so you actually need to measure the wavelengths of two transitions to get the values for both the charge radius and the physical constant. But for the purposes of this article, we'll just focus on one measurement. Now, as long as the two methods of measuring this thing roughly agreed with each other, physics stays in pretty good shape. But then physicists went out and did something funny. Of course they did. They replaced the electron with its heavier and somewhat unstable equivalent. It's called a muon. And according to what we understand of physics, the muon should behave just like the electron, except for the mass difference. So if you can measure the muon orbiting a proton in a brief flash of time before it actually decays, you should be able to produce the same value for the proton's charge radius. But, naturally, it produced a different value, and the difference was big enough that a simple experimental error probably wouldn't account for it. 
So if the measurements really were different, then that would indicate a serious flaw in our understanding of physics. If the muon and electron don't behave equivalently, then quantum chromodynamics, which is a major theory in physics, is irretrievably broken in some way. And having a broken theory is something that's extremely exciting for physicists. Okay, so all this new work is pretty much an improved version of past experiments because it measures a specific orbital transition in standard hydrogen composed of an electron and a proton. So the first thing they did to make the process better is they pumped the hydrogen through this very cold metal nozzle because they needed to cool it down to a pretty low temperature. And then the hydrogen went through into the vacuum container where the actual measurements were made. And they do this to help keep thermal noise from affecting the measurements. Then for the second improvement, the researchers decided to work in the ultraviolet part of this spectrum. The shorter wavelengths helped improve the precision. See, hydrogen atoms emit these photons, and the scientists measured the wavelength of those photons using what's called a frequency comb, because it produces photons at an evenly spaced series of wavelengths that kind of acts like the marks on a ruler. And doing it this way made the team's measurements 20 times more accurate than the way they measured orbital transitions before. The result the researchers get disagrees with earlier measurements of normal hydrogen, though not a more recent one. And it's much, much closer to the measurements made using muons orbiting protons. So, from the perspective of quantum mechanics being accurate, this is good news. But not great news, since the two results are still outside of each other's error bars. Part of the problem there is that the added mass of the muon makes the error bars on those experiments extremely small. And that makes it very difficult for any results that we get using a normal electron to be consistent with the muon results without completely overlapping them. Now, the authors acknowledge that the difference is likely to just be errors that are unaccounted for, citing the prospect of systematic effects in either or both of these measurements. And these effects could broaden the uncertainty enough to allow overlap. So, this work is a pretty important landmark in terms of finding ways to up the precision of the results. And the outcome suggests that quantum chromodynamics is probably fine, but it doesn't actually completely resolve the difference. Meaning, we're going to need some more work before physicists can truly breathe easy, which is annoying enough to possibly explain why science chose to run the paper on Thanksgiving when fewer people would be paying attention. Like what you learned? Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more science news at wired.com science. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more – and they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.